Hi, and welcome to History of Portugal. I'm Rob Mendez, and this is Episode 3, Movable Objects and an Unstoppable Force. Last episode, we took a general look at the history of the Visigothic Kingdom in the Iberian Peninsula, and we left the Visigoths in the early 700s AD, unknowingly standing on the precipice of their demise. Today, we will take a step back in time and hop over to the Arabian Peninsula, where we will take a very wide-lensed view at how a previously unassuming group of people successfully took on not one, but two long-established empires, and in the process forged their own sprawling dominion. I will focus only on the Western advance of the Muslim armies, since it's more pertinent to our overall narrative, so I will not be covering the Arab-Persian Wars. The question of how a new religious movement in Western Arabia transformed into a conquering force that enveloped the majority of the Eastern Roman territories, all of the southern shores of the Mediterranean, along with steamrolling the Persian Sassanid Empire of Iran, is a difficult question to answer. The early days of the rise of Islam and the subsequent unification of the various tribal groups are, from a modern historical perspective, obscure, shrouded by the mists of time and legend. However it may have happened, by the 630s AD, the tribes of Arabia started to coalesce and began unprecedented attacks on their imperial neighbors. The traditional narrative states that the Prophet Muhammad died in 632 AD. He was then succeeded by the Caliph Abu Bakr, and under his leadership, the raids into the territories of the Eastern Roman Empire and the Sassanid Empire began. You see, the Eastern Romans, also known as the Byzantine Empire, and how I will be referring to them from now on, and the Sassanids, they had just been entangled in a 26-year-long brutal war that ended in 628 AD. This conflict left both powers exhausted and vulnerable. Though the Byzantines were victorious in this war, they suffered massive territorial losses, along with massive devastation in their eastern provinces, at the hands of the Sassanid Persians, including Palestine and Egypt. Upon the conclusion of a peace treaty with the Sassanids, the eastern provinces were restored to the Byzantines. The decades of war suffered by both the Byzantine and Persian provinces had two major military consequences for both. The first of which is that it left city defenses across the board either badly damaged or outright destroyed. The second was the loss of military manpower to garrison and defend the provinces. Needless to say, this left them in a terribly exposed position. And the last thing the Byzantines or the Persians expected was an attack from a direction they considered safe, due to the assumed near-impassable nature of the deserts of Arabia, and the disunited nature of the scattered tribes there within. So, you can imagine the shock they experienced when told 
that a United Arab Army was raiding and conquering territory with alarming speed. In 636 AD, the Byzantine Emperor Heraclius sent his army to check the Arab advance. The result was an unmitigated disaster for the Byzantines and a stunning success for the Muslims. The Arabs now had a firm grasp on Damascus and by extension all of Syria. Soon after, Jerusalem fell and by 642, Egypt was completely conquered. The conquest of Egypt was of particular significance. For centuries, the city of Alexandria had been one of the major trading ports of the Mediterranean. So, gaining control of the city meant gaining control of ships and the skilled crews of those ships. This gave the Arabs a heretofore unknown asset to their military capabilities, a strong and capable navy. And it's in large part thanks to this navy that the Muslim forces were able to move rapidly along the coast of North Africa and capture city after city. These new territorial acquisitions would come to yield yet another crucial advantage for the growing Arab empire in the form of Berber soldiers. The term Berber is a catch-all term for the indigenous pre-Arab people of North Africa whose language is, interestingly, related to ancient Egyptian, which is just awesome. The Berber acculturation and conversion to Islam is thought to have taken place over a long period of time and in a number of different forms, both forced and voluntary. Notably, the Berbers of the Libyan interior seem to have provided large numbers of slaves to the Arabs, those slaves were then incorporated into the tribes of their new masters and subsequently converted to Islam. The Berbers were among the first to become the principal core of the Muslim armies of North Africa. By the 660s, the Byzantine Empire still retained possession of the North African port city of Carthage and large portions of the surrounding areas which is roughly located in modern-day Tunis in Tunisia. But the storm clouds, they were gathering, because it's at this time that the first Arab naval raids on Sicily began, and Sicily is just a stone's throw away from Carthage. Around the year 670 AD, Okba ibn Nafi was appointed governor of basically all of central North Africa. And it was up to him to take control of his newly appointed province. Ukba was a veteran legendary commander of several North African campaigns. And under his leadership, the Arabs and their Berber freedmen took control of most of North Africa, except for Carthage and its northern suburbs. Later, in 675, there was a reshuffling in the Arab leadership and the new governor of Egypt recalled Okba and replaced him with his Berber freedman, a man by the name of Abu al-Mujahir. Abu's leadership style was more flexible and diplomatic than that of Okba. While Okba had treated the indigenous populations with little respect, Abu, on the other hand, reached out to Berber leaders, 
and created working relationships with them. In particular, he began a working relationship with a man named Kusela, who was the ruler of the Berber Confederation of the area. Together, they managed to besiege the city of Carthage in 678. Though the siege was ultimately unsuccessful, it proved the value of an Arab-Berber partnership. Unfortunately, this particular partnership was short-lived. A new caliph rose to the throne, Yazid I, and Uqba was reinstated as governor of North Africa, where he wasted no time in breaking off the alliance with Kosila. It's not exactly clear as to why Uqba was so antagonistic towards Kosela, though it has been theorized that perhaps Kusela may have been a Christian, which is not out of the question, considering for how long the Roman Empire was present in the area. This would also help explain Uqba's refusal to deal with Kusela on equal terms. At this point, the record is more confusing as to what exactly happened next, especially since it's riddled with legendary events. But it seems that Kusela and the Byzantines formed an alliance against the Arabs. And around 683, Uqba was actually killed by Kusela, who went on to capture the entire province of North Africa. However, this Berber victory turned out just to be a setback for the Arabs rather than a permanent expulsion. While the events that we have just been discussing were unfolding in North Africa, back in Syria, a new caliphate had been established, led by the Umayyad dynasty. The new caliph appointed his brother, Abdulaziz, as governor of Egypt. The new governor promptly sent an expeditionary force to Africa that defeated and killed Kusela and took back control of the province. Around 695, a new governor of Africa was appointed, Hassan ibn al-Numan. His mission was clear. Drive the Byzantines out of Carthage once and for all. For the next three years, the Byzantines and the Arabs struggled for control of the city but ultimate victory belonged to the Arab forces, with the Byzantines being driven out in 698 AD. This defeat marked the end of over 800 years of Roman presence in North Africa. Just as it was with Alexandria, the capture of Carthage was a major windfall for the Arab navy, adding even more ships and sailors to their already considerable fleet. Additionally, the strategic location of Carthage made conducting raids in the western Mediterranean a much easier proposition, with raids on the Balearic Islands, Sicily and Sardinia following soon after. Sometime between 705 and 710 AD, Arab and Berber forces were dispatched by sea to take the city of Tangiers, which is in modern-day Morocco. And take it, they did thus securing basically all of North Africa under the rule of the Umayyad Caliphate. Around this time, Musa ibn Nusayr was appointed as the new governor of Africa, 
and once Tangiers had been taken, Musa made a fateful decision. He appointed his Berber freedman, Tariq bin Zayed, as governor of Tangiers. Once Tariq got settled in, it seems like he began launching raiding expeditions on the southern shores of Iberia, but never making much inroads to the interior. But that was all about to change. I doubt that even in his wildest dreams, Tarek could have predicted just what a golden opportunity would be falling in his lap in the near future. Next time on History of Portugal, the doom of the fractious Visigothic kingdom will finally arrive at its doorstep, and it will take surprisingly little to topple and destroy. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 